Welcome to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Seta. The AAO annual session is just around the corner, and I'm excited to reconnect with many of you. If you'll be in Chicago, I'll be speaking at the Dynaflex booth on Sunday and may also be making a cameo with Relapse. Please do stop by to say hello, especially if we've never met. Now, without further ado, we're on to today's episode. I feel like I'm at the top of this roller coaster that I've worked really hard to get to this point, but it was just this straight path. And now I'm at this point where I get to just let go a little bit and go and see what comes. And it's going to be a wild ride and it's going to be super fun. And it might be a little risky and it might be a little scary, but it's going to be awesome. I'm Dr. Chris Seta, and I'm shining a light on the innovators of our profession. Welcome to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. On today's show, my guest is Dr. Jackie Sheik. We've certainly had some impressive guests on this podcast, and you may be thinking that orthodontists can do just about anything. Many orthodontists are not just doctors, but entrepreneurs, inventors, marathon runners, and triathletes, or even professional musicians. But at what point does being a high achiever become overachieving? Today, I'd like to introduce you to a rising star in orthodontics. Dr. Jackie Sheik is not only an innovative orthodontist, she is quite literally a rock star as the co-vocalist and bass player for the all-orthodontist band Relapse. Jackie practices in Northfield, Minnesota, about 45 minutes south of Minneapolis. She started her practice, Sheik Orthodontics, from scratch in 2014. As you'll hear on today's episode, the early years of getting her practice off the ground while raising her growing family had its challenges. However, Jackie's journey into self-awareness and leadership coaching has helped her find balance and to begin living her life with intentionality. Jackie has discovered a newfound happiness in being able to design her future, and she graciously shares many of these lessons with us today. Well, welcome to the podcast. How are you today, Jackie? I'm so good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Why don't you tell everyone where we're at? We are in a beautiful setting here in Tampa, Florida. I flew out to visit you today. We're in kind of a unique space. It's a dedicated podcast recording studio, and it's got some really cool decor, soundproofing, a beautiful teal on the walls. So I love it. It's got the lighting and everything. Yeah, I'm inspired. Good, good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've been doing the podcast studio vibe recently, and I have to thank you so much for flying in this morning from Minneapolis. I have to thank you. I left snow and came to sunshine. So sunshine. I'm good for it. We, we mm-hmm. have the sunshine. So specifically, we're in St. Petersburg, Florida, which is known as the Sunshine City. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't. Uh, but today is actually chilly for us. We're in like the low 50s. So I was sort of embarrassed. Uh, you know, I think I maybe sold you on coming to the beautiful 75 degree weather mm-hmm. of Florida in the middle of winter. I did not deliver on that front, or at least Mother Nature didn't. So I apologize. But at the same time, hopefully uh, we'll both get a little vitamin D. Yep. And we have a libation today, right? We do. So I told you, you asked what I liked, and I said gin. Yeah. 
and you've made me a bee's knees. With bee's your, knees. With yeah. your dad's honey. That's right. Yeah. And I told you, it's a little self-serving. Uh, I am getting over bronchitis, which was like a month of being sick. I'm no longer on antibiotics. I'm back to having beverages. And I was excited to make this cocktail today. So for anyone who's interested, we have uh, Ford's Gin, which is a really nice London dry gin. It was two ounces of that, three quarters of an ounce of lemon juice. And then uh, my dad in retirement now keeps bees. So from Pete's Apiary, we have his honey in the cocktail. So it's delicious. Yeah. Thank you, Pete. Yeah, there you go. Mm -hmm. I think it's sort of got like a little, it's like a little tart, Mm -hmm. but you get the the sweetness of the honey and uh, the floralness of the gin. It's very smooth. Yeah, Very I like smooth. it a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like the bee's knees, right? <laughs> Awful joke. <laughs> I like it. So Jackie, or uh, as Siri was pronouncing your name today, Jacque. <laughs> Jacque. Uh, oh, that's good. My sister gets Jacque. Jacque. Yeah. <laughs> it was sort of going back and forth between the Siri could yeah. not make up her mind on how to pronounce your name, but it's a unique spelling, right? Why don't it we want to talk about that? Yeah. So my birth name is Jacqueline. My parents and family still call me Jacqueline, but when mm-hmm. I was a kindergartner and I went into school... I had a babysitter named Jackie, and so I wanted to be Jackie, and I decided I was going to spell my name like her, which I'm sure her parents are not very happy with me that I (laughs) took the spelling, but my parents allowed me to choose how I wanted to spell Jackie, so I spell it J-A-C-Q-U-E-E, and it's been a struggle my whole life, but I love it because it's unique, and I chose it. Yeah. Yeah. But you're, it gets misspelled all the You're the, the only time. double E Jackie I know. That's awesome. You know, in high school, we had seven Jackies in my graduating class. That's crazy. Yeah. And every single one spelled it differently. I don't think I, you know, we're relatively the same vintage. We won't say exactly. <laughs> but, you know, there were, at least on the guy front, there were plenty of Chris's yeah. and Brian's and Joseph's. And I think maybe I had one Jacqueline <laughs> that I grew up with. Mm-hmm. Were you Chris C.? I was. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. totally. Or I just still have like Eric E, Eric O. Like, I, that's how oh, I know Eric them. was very, mm-hmm. con- especially I bet in the Midwest, a mm-hmm. lot of Eric's. A lot of Eric's, right? yeah. Yeah. So, like, what are some variations? Like, I, when I think of Jackie, I think of I E, but sure. I imagine there's like all kinds of unique ways of spelling yep. it. There was a J A C I, J A K I, J A C Q U I. I don't know. J-A-C-I. Did I say that already? J-A-C-K-E-E, I believe was one of them. Okay. Anyway, any variation you can imagine with K's, Q's, E's, and I's. And chic, not C-H-I-C, right? No, unfortunately. S-C-H-I-E-C-K. Do you ever think about like having a stage name? I do. Like I already Jack- have one. <laughs> I'm Jaxel Rose. Ja- oh, That's what we I decided. Jaxel Rose. I don't know. Okay. We've, we've thrown some around. So but. we're talking about stage names here, and, and we're sort of giving a little bit of a uh, teaser here. But uh, Jackie is the new upgraded bass player for Relapse, which we're going to dive into. We have a yep. lot of exciting things we're going to talk about today. I think Jackie has a really super interesting story. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about her achievements and practice life and professional development, talking about uh, some deeper stuff, like maybe even burnout we might get into and how to find your creativity. And I'm super excited to have her on the podcast today. Jackie, I believe, if I'm correct, you grew up in uh, South Dakota. Is that right? I did. I grew up in the metropolis of Sioux Falls. (laughs) Um, If you haven't been there, you should go because it is actually a really beautiful city. But at the time I grew up, it was about 150,000 people. Um, The whole state has 700,000 people or did when I was growing up there. So it really was kind of the the major city. I loved growing up there. You know, I grew up, I have, both my parents are still there. I was the middle child, which probably says a lot about me. (laughs) It was a small town feel, despite being a bigger city, Uh, had a lot of amenities, you know, had everything you could want, but it was a really strong education system, a really strong sense of community. Mm -hmm. 
you know, I had great friendships that I still have from growing up there. So I had a great childhood. Super cool. You know, I I don't know a lot about the Dakotas. I'll be honest. I've never been. But when I think of the Dakotas, I think more of like Native Americans. But I think it's a very small Native American population in Sioux Falls, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Most of the Native Americans are out on more of the Western side of the state. But we definitely grew up learning about the Native American population and and celebrated their culture. They would come and visit us and do assemblies in our gym classes in elementary and middle school. And I think one of the, like the biggest attractions that I read about Sioux Falls is they actually have like a big waterfall, yeah, right? Yeah, we have the a fall. waterfall. Yeah, it was a big mill town. Oh, wow. um, and so those waterfalls powered some mills and there's still some ruins there. They've really renovated the downtown. Uh, live music, lots of shopping, lots of restaurants. And so, I even read there's sort of like an art walk and there's like yeah. a replica of the David sculpture there. Is that right? <laughs> I've forgotten about this, but yes. And maybe that was my draw to Florence. I, you know, I studied abroad in Florence as a college student. And so I've never thought about that or made that connection before. But yeah, well, before we jump ahead to college, tell us a little bit more about like growing up in childhood. So I was a really curious kid. Mm -hmm. You know, I think early on, I asked a lot of questions. I did well in school. I was encouraged by my teachers to do well. And so I had a lot of opportunities. They, you know, small group sessions. I was in a quiz bowl. I don't know. And I just kind of started to realize my own potential. I think, mm-hmm. as a as an elementary school student. But I think as a middle child, I learned to perform and kind of make a name for myself, but also to mediate and mm-hmm. kind of become a pleaser. You know, you can kind of go either way. You can become a rebel or a pleaser, I think, as a middle child. And so I had a brief rebellious phase we can talk about. But So do you think a middle child is more of like an attention seeker, perhaps? or just, yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that attention naturally gets placed on the oldest and the youngest just by default, right? And so that's the, the common theme, right? You hear about middle children and how they have to make a name somehow. And Mm -hmm. so they they can make a name in a good way or in a bad way. And I think I learned that it was better for me if I made a name in a good way. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, I was very involved always. Like I said, I was in a quiz bowl in elementary school. I did all the sports. My dad coached me in basketball. Mm -hmm. My mom and dad were both farm kids. Go figure. You know, growing up in South Dakota, they were both raised on a farm, but they moved into Sioux Falls as kind of teenagers, college students. And I kind of grew up with that work ethic, right? The classic Midwestern farm work ethic. I grew up learning that if you can do it yourself, you should do it yourself. Um, Don't complain. You know, (laughs) my parents were both really hard workers, both grew or I grew up with both of them working out of the home full time. And I kind of look back on how my childhood was and how it's shaped me since then. And I would say, you know, for my dad, he's still he's 71, I think. And he is just incredibly active. He's now a state senator. That's his way of giving back because he That's never so got cool, to serve yeah. in the armed forces. He's organized golfing, bowling, you know, every organization you can imagine, a softball league. He's just this example of service and community for me. And then I think my mom, she was very sacrificial. I don't think she'd ever describe herself that way. You know, mm-hmm. she was just doing what she needed to do, but she worked out of the home full time. And yet we had dinner on the table. She really encouraged us. That's where I get the music, I think, from. She encouraged mm-hmm. music and arts and theater and curiosity. And yeah, it's been cool to kind of just reflect back on what I had as a kid and how that shaped me. And I have to give a lot of credit to my parents because I pulled definitely some big things from both of them. So that's awesome. Let's mention mm-hmm. him. I think your dad's name is Jack Colbeck, right? It is. And yeah. Senator Jack. Senator Jack. Senator Colbeck. Yeah. And he's not in the U.S. Senate, but right. the state yep, assembly, South Dakota right? State Senate. But still super cool. And yeah, what's your mom's awesome. name? Muriel. Muriel. Yeah. I got a fun fact. My grandmother's name is Muriel. Isn't, isn't that <laughs> My not- mom's going to love hearing that. <laughs> 
<laughs> my mom is this like very youthful, vibrant woman, and she knows that her name is usually a grandma name. <laughs> Love you, mom. Aww. And then high school years were just fun. You know, high school mm-hmm. was kind of where I started coming into my own as far as this is the person I'm going to be. I'm going to be heavily involved. I'm going to you know, be a friend to a lot of people. I just had a really good time in high school. Growing up in Sioux Falls was amazing and great friends, great opportunities. I think I learned to trust myself. I learned to just take on more, more, more and still succeed. Yeah. And like I talked about, I don't know if that was always the best lesson to take away. I had that experience and I could do it. And I did it for a very long time afterwards. But I'd say it started for me really in high school. Just arts, theater, music, sports, everything. You know, school paper editor, uh, homecoming queen, class vice president, you know, student council. It was just like I took on everything that I could take on in high school and I had fun while doing it. Yeah. But yeah, it was kind of a pattern that I established for the rest of my life. That's amazing. Now, are there many colleges in South Dakota or did you have to leave the state? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have to leave the state. Mm -hmm. Um, I think my parents would have loved if I stayed, but I was always somebody that wanted to kind of just do something new, you know, Mm -hmm. something, something different. And so kind of through the application process of college, I looked all over the country, which is what I did for dental and for residency. I was always looking to kind of go elsewhere and look outward. And I ended up getting a national merit scholarship that gave me, yeah, and I'm so grateful for it. It gave me a full ride to college. The only public school that I had applied to was Iowa State. Mm -hmm. It was a big school. I wasn't planning on going to a big school. I thought I was going to a small private liberal arts college. But when that scholarship came in, I went and visited and loved it. I'm so glad I ended up there. I met some of my very best friends and had just an excellent time. Lots of fun, you know, and lots of Lots of giving, and I, I joined a sorority and met some really great friends, which I would never have defined myself as a sorority girl, but I loved it. I had an excellent four years there. No, I think Iowa State, it's almost like pre-doctoral school, and there's a lot of maybe STEM there. Is that right? There's a lot of engineering. Yeah. Okay. Yep. It's a very big engineering agricultural school. Not a big pre-dental school, hmm. I found out, because the dental school is actually in Iowa. And so... You know, I knew in high school that I wanted to be an orthodontist. I kind of decided when I had my own braces and then exposed myself more to uh, the profession during high school and kind of set my career path then. Mm -hmm. But I didn't have really any guidance on that. And so I applied to Iowa State and didn't realize that actually, if you want to go to dental school, you should have gone to the University of Iowa for undergrad because that's where the dental school is. So I think there were two of us, maybe three of us in the pre-dental program at Iowa State. (laughs) Yeah. So I didn't have a big community there of that, but that didn't matter. I'm an independent person. It didn't, you know, I still graduated in four years, kind of set my path towards what I wanted to do and ended up, like I said, applying all over the country and then ended up going to UMKC for dental school. Yeah. So what did you think of Kansas City? Well, I met my husband there. Awesome. So that was, it was meant to be, right? I like to think about it that way. Yeah. I had a great time in Kansas City. You know, I lived downtown for a couple of years and then I lived on the plaza for a couple of years met really great people that I'm still in in touch with. Some great orthodontists have come out of there and are good friends of mine still. We had a good time. Very cool. So I know I mentioned I met my husband, Tanner, in Kansas City. It was actually a really funny story. So Kansas City's known for its barbecue. Oh, yeah. Um, At the time- I love barbecue. I know. It's same. It's so good. And Kansas City barbecue, especially, if you haven't I never have had Kansas City. Yeah. I've had Memphis, And I know there's fights about this, so I don't want to (laughs) like claim that Kansas City's the best, but I love it. And Oklahoma Joe's- Okay. If you ever get to Kansas City is where you need That's to go. That's a spot. So they have a national barbecue competition there, mm-hmm. um, the American Royal, it's called. And at the time, it was held in their fairgrounds. I was, at the time, just like really routine, you know, getting things done, going to bed at 9 o'clock, waking up at 5 a.m. to work out. It was like the only time in my life that I've been on that <laughs> kind of a schedule. 
And my friends had told me that I needed to go to this competition and just experience it because it was so Kansas City. And like I've told you, when I travel, I really want to like embed and experience the local environments. And so I knew I had to kind of check this off the list while I was still in Kansas City. And so they dragged me out. It was like nine o'clock when we left my house. Did not necessarily want to go, but knew I needed to go. And that happened to be the night I met Tanner. So it was fate. fate. We walked in and if you haven't met Tanner, he's six foot nine. And so, and I'm six feet tall. So it was just awesome because we walked into these fairgrounds and I was walking in with my friends and I spotted him above the crowd and I just pointed him out and I said, that is my type of guy. And there was smoke everywhere from the barbecue. Otis Redding was playing actually. So yeah, it was, it was (laughs) magical. And that was it. We dated almost the full time we were long distance because he got transferred for work three weeks after we met. So we dated long distance for 18 months and then got married. Yeah, because you went on to Minneapolis, right? To University of Minnesota for your ortho program? Yep. And he's from Minnesota. So that worked out really well. Despite meeting in Kansas City, our hometowns are only two and a half hours apart. I, you know, interviewed again all over the country, being open to going wherever, and then ended up being able to match at the University of Minnesota. Awesome. Mm -hmm. And we've had a couple Minnesota residents on the podcast before, and it seems like a really great program there. I think it's Dr. Brent Larson, right? Yeah, is, it's is a wonderful still the program. Yeah, Dr. Larson is still the chair and he's wonderful. He's a big mentor for me. I don't know if he knows that or not, but he was just always innovative. He was a great leader. He didn't take BS from anybody. You know, reps were always a little scared to visit because he knew all the evidence and he would question them on it. So he which, was tough, huh? He was he was tough, but not to the residents. To the okay. residents, he was always somebody that we could look up to, go to with questions, you know, be inspired by. He always wanted to use the newest technologies. So that was my residency was, you know, we were doing CBCTs on everybody. He had a kind of a facial scanner, digital modeling, you know, instead of plaster. So we were really trying new things all the time. And he really was open to letting us try those new things. Gotcha. Now, after you graduated, though, you went back to Sioux Falls for a period of time. And I think you were associating there, right? Right. Yep. I associated there probably three and a half years. Thought I'd be there forever. You know, I entered into that thinking it was a partnership long-term situation, but I was also pregnant starting my first job. And I think that changes things. You know, the people told me it would change things. I didn't think it would change things, but I think it just really solidified, I guess it maybe not changed, but solidified for me what was important to me. You know, and I had made that clear as an associate too, that I wanted that balance. I wanted to be able to not work five days a week. Mm-hmm. I knew that that was going to be an important thing for me long-term. Really fortunately, I was able to kind of build my own practice within that practice. So nice. Yeah, it worked out great. I had great mentors from the senior doctors. I had a wonderful team of women there to support me with it too. But I had my first son, I think I was practicing for three months when he was born. So it was good because I had some flexibility. You know, I could kind of run home and then I could run back to the practice and run home and run back to the practice. But in hindsight, it was a lot. You know, and you just, oh, yeah. you don't know any different. I took two weeks of maternity leave and then I was That's back. That's it? Wow. That was it. I agreed to it before I had him, you yeah. know, and I had never really, I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't have anybody ahead of me that I could kind of go to and ask questions about maternity yeah. leaves and what that looked like. So it was. Well, it talk was, about change. I mean, not only were you sort of like entering the workforce for the first time, but being a new mom. And so I imagine that was like both a super exciting and stressful time period for you. Yeah. And I've actually been somebody who can, I don't want to say compartmentalize well, but I can just keep going. Right. Like I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just, I'm sure like a lot of us just have that personality type of being driven and keep going and achieving. And so I didn't really stop to think about it. Mm-hmm. At the time, you know, I just did what I had to do, which was to be there for and everybody. Your blinders on and yeah. just got to do it. Right? Exactly. 
show up for the exams and be there and be Dr. Sheik and then go home and show up and be a nursing mommy who has no sleep and kind of switch between the two at the blink of an eye. When we come back in just a moment, how Jackie launched a startup practice while her family was growing and her journey into personal development and the important lessons she learned. Stay with us. You're listening to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. Kind support for this podcast comes from Strauman Group. Did you know that Strauman Group, the global powerhouse in implant dentistry, acquired ClearCorrect, Bay Materials, and the digital workflow software Dental Wings to make major advances in the orthodontic market? And Bay Materials Innovation of Zendera Flex launched ClearCorrect's Clear Quartz technology, a third-generation, state-of-the-art, tri-layer and stain-resistant plastic that increases predictability of movement and patient comfort. With a high trim line for improved retention and intuitive software, ClearCorrect is your premier partner for orthodontics. This is how Strauman Group does ortho. Learn more at clearcorrect.com. Welcome back to our conversation with Dr. Jackie Sheik. Now, at a certain point, I know you decided to start your own practice, right? Yeah. So, you know, in hindsight, wasn't something I knew I wanted right away. But I think it was always there in the back of my head. I saw co-residents who went out and started their own practices right out of residency. And I think in my head, I was like, I could do that. Mm-hmm. Like, I, that, that feels good to me. I was hopeful, I think, that the associateship would turn into a partnership that would work that way. And I would have some control over the practice. And nothing against that practice. It was a wonderful practice. But it was just a bigger ship to try to steer. Mm-hmm. So the wheels just kind of start turning. And I think once the wheels start turning and you start envisioning what you want and what you can do, it's hard to, to slow that train down. Yeah, And so Tanner and I obviously had long conversations about this because it would mean leaving grandma daycare. You know, it would yeah. mean leaving my hometown. But we believed in ourselves. We knew we could do it. And ultimately, that's what we did. Gotcha. So you actually went back to Tanner's hometown or it was just a different community? Yeah, it's a different community. Tanner went to college there. So okay. we were familiar with it. We knew it would be a great place to raise a family. It's a cute little town on a river. It's got two colleges. I kind of said, if I can pay off my debt and keep a smile on my face. Like this is where we want to live. So let's just go there and let's do it. That's awesome. So what year did you open the practice? 2014. So funny story there because my second son, so I have four kids. I know Mm -hmm. we haven't talked about that yet, but my second son was born the day we were supposed to close on the practice. Oh, no way. So we had to postpone closing by one week. Is that right? And he was basically on my lap full time while I was designing and planning and preparing for this practice to open. So he was my little buddy. I mean, (laughs) newborn baby just on my lap while I'm on the phone, while I'm, you know, emailing the bank. How did you keep it all together? It's just so amazing to me. Well, again, you know, I see it more in hindsight now. I kind of can look back at that woman and think, what were you doing? You know, like, how did you do this? I don't, I, I don't know if I could do it again. Yeah. But I think at the time I just, that's all I had ever known. You know, all I had ever known was just work really hard, get it done, make it happen, you know, and just keep moving forward. Yeah. And, and I talked about kind of like unlearning some of the stories that I had learned as a kid. And I think as you get older, you start reflecting back on things and start questioning things about yourself. 
I think that's a natural process. And, mm-hmm. and that's where I'm at is kind of like, well, why am I that way? Why do I feel like I have to be that way? You know, why yeah. do I keep striving and doing and sacrificing? You know, what's the, what's the point, right? What's the purpose? Yeah. Well, I think as part of your practice journey, you started looking into like professional coaching and personality types, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I've always been kind of a junkie for that, even as a kid. I was always reading books on like dream interpretation and the horoscopes and just really, again, the curiosity, right? Yeah. I I wanted to learn about anything and everything. So I feel like I thought I was a really self-aware person because I had put a lot of time into those things. I think it was in 2016, right after the birth of my third I encountered a woman in my town who was starting up her own small business leadership coaching company. She had worked for some really big corporations and kind of wanted to start her own consulting business. And so I encountered her through a class she was putting on about strategic planning. And then I started working with her as an individual coach. And she really put a lot on me about self-awareness more than Mm. I had ever had, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and got me into the Enneagram, which I think is wonderful. I I've done, like I said, a lot of personality typing, and I felt always a little bit boxed in. I can remember this time a consultant came in and had us do the DISC. Yeah. I was an SC, I think, is how I came out. And she was like, most leaders are DI. And I remember being like, oh, shoot, you know, like I'm not (laughs) supposed to be a leader. Or she just, the way she kind of put it was like, well, your type isn't normally a leader, right? Yeah. And so I started kind of having these like confidence issues like, oh no, I'm not supposed to be a leader. I need to hire a really badass office manager who can kick butt, who can kind of take charge because obviously that's not me. And this was early on in my practice ownership journey. But then working with Sarah, my coach, she kind of walked it through a different way and had me see the values and the strengths of what my personality type is and how I can use that as a leader. And just really had me ask some hard questions about myself and my motivations. And I've grown a lot That's super cool. So you sort of reframed the SC, right? Yes. Not a negative thing. Not at all. And even like with the Enneagram, it's about a web, really. You know, Mm -hmm. it's about becoming a whole person. So they type you, but then they want you to grow from there. That's super cool. And I know on my podcast with Grant Collins, we talked a little bit about Enneagram. I think that's Mm -hmm. his favorite personality Mm -hmm. type. And when we were both at MOPC conference, Andy Sarpatar, he actually did a whole thing on personality type. So I think the big ones are like DISC. Yep. Myers-Briggs and Enneagram, right? And Enneagram is with an E if people are interested in looking it up. Can you spell it? Because I I certainly can't. E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M. So there's nine numbers. So your type is type one through nine. They're all connected by arrows. So like my type, for instance, is a type three. But I have a wing, which is type two. So type three is the achiever. Type two is the helper. Okay. So I'm a, you know, three wing two, which is very me. Hmm. So you're mainly an achiever, but you want to be a helper. You got it. Yes. You know, there's this like friction in me about that because Mm -hmm. it's like, I I want to achieve things and I want to do great things in this world, but it's not going to ever come at the expense of somebody else or feelings. And so as a leader and as a boss, that's a tough thing because I want to drive my team to excellence, but I don't know how to do it without hurting their feelings. So that was a really big lesson for me and and I'm still working on it, but yeah, that's a big area of growth for me. We are going to dig into this now, Jack Way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's actually a good quality to have because it might be presented in a negative way, but you also care about people's feelings mm-hmm. and you don't just want to be the badass that's going to just be like firing people left and right. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I've invested a lot into my team as people. You know, I mm-hmm. think that's been a huge part of my practice's success is because my team knows that I care about who they are as a person 
you know, I've invested a lot into my own personal development, but also theirs. I've put my team through Financial Peace University. Like I said, we've hired so coaches cool. yeah. to come in and talk with them. I've hired consultants to come in and talk about them and their relationships outside of the practice. And all of that comes back to me tenfold. I have an amazing team of women. They're loyal. They're hardworking. And they really care about kind of fulfilling the vision that I have for the practice, too. Yeah, That's amazing, though, that you sort of went on this journey of entrepreneurship and just learned a lot about yourself and leadership very at the much. same time, right? Yes, very much. And I don't think I knew that it would be such a journey that way. You know, you start a business and you just focus on getting that business off the ground. Sure. I mean, it was a scratch practice. We had three patients my first day. You know, I yeah. still have a, a paint rag. So we bought this building that mm-hmm. has three commercial suites. And we finished out, took it to the studs, this space to finish it out as the clinic. So two thirds of the building became the clinic. And then the other third, we finished out into a townhouse. And so both of these construction projects were going on at the same time <laughs> while I was living long distance with my in-laws by myself with a newborn. Wow. <laughs> and I can still remember I had driven up to Northfield from my in-laws house about an hour away. And I was there and I was kind of putting some fine tuning on some project stuff with the contractors. And our burner phone, like our Google voice number that we had created for the practice rang. Mm -hmm. And it was my first patient because we had put up a sign with our number. And this woman called and she wanted to schedule her kids. And I couldn't believe it. And I grabbed literally a paint rag and a pen that I was holding. And I wrote down all of her information and I got to know her. And I still have that paint rag because it was like, this is it. Like patients are calling. We're doing this thing. That is so cool. Oh, what a cool story. So it was a journey. That startup practice was such a... Labor of love. Yeah. So you mentioned you've worked with various consultants. Um, yeah. Who have you worked with besides your local business coach? Oh, yeah. So I worked with Sarah. Was her name Sarah Carlson? Mm-hmm. I worked with her for about five years. And this is outside of the practice. So I worked with Sarah personally. And then currently I'm working with Taryn McCarthy. And she's an orthodontist. She has the business of happiness. And we can kind of oh, talk cool. about my motivations for switching. But I really have enjoyed working with Taryn. And I've been with her now for about 18 months. Where is she based out of? She's in Maine. And then within the practice, we've used a lot of consultants. I started with Jameson, and then I, which is actually a general dental okay. consulting firm. But as a startup, they were affordable and kind of covering all the bases that I needed. I actually really made some good relationships there. And then I worked with Andrea Cook. I've mm-hmm. worked with Michelle Shimon, and I'm currently working with Dino Watt. Awesome. And, yeah. and all great friends. I just, I really have respected and valued the contributions that they've all made to my practice. Uh, very cool. And uh, I think you mentioned to me you're working with Dino. Dino someone I got to know. I was on his podcast a while oh, ago. Awesome. I wish I could communicate like him. I certainly don't. He's such a great MC and host. He is. Uh, someone that certainly I look up to in that regard. Mm-hmm. So, And that's how I met him. The inaugural Light Force Future in 2021. Dino okay. hosted it. There wow. were about 40 doctors I wasn't there, at that maybe. one. I think yeah. I was at the second one. Yeah, it was a very small group, and I got to know Dino there and then started working with him shortly after. Very, very cool. So I was thinking as we were talking about my startup practice that I focused on how hard it was. And, you know, I had this newborn, and I was exhausted, and I was living long distance. But really, the whole startup process for me was super fun. Oh, I bet. Um, That's where the entrepreneur in me really came to life, and I didn't even know it was in me. And in hindsight, again, I can see how that's like the creative side of me that's really started to blossom and develop and you know, it was like I had this clear vision of what I knew I wanted in a practice. The whole reason I had decided to become an orthodontist at age 14 was because I wanted to be part of a community and I wanted to have a relationship with my patients and I mm-hmm. wanted to be somebody who kind of left a legacy and could yeah. give back. Um, and so that's that's what Chic Orthodontics was founded on. And so it was that that, that kept me going, you know, through all of these hard times and long distance with Tanner again and raising these babies 
But a lot of it, too, you know, we lived on site. So we had this building where we had built out the townhome right next to the clinic. Yeah. And there was no boundary, physical or mental. You know, it was mm-hmm. just everything was always about chic orthodontics. And I was chic orthodontics. You know, I had one or two employees and yeah. they, you know, it was just, it was just a constant. We were there till 2 a.m. and I was back again at 8 a.m. And it never ended. And that's, yeah. that's the joy of a startup, but that's also the pain of the startup. And I think sure. in hindsight, if I could go back and talk to that woman, you know, mm-hmm. at that time, I would tell her that it's okay not to have everyone's obligations met all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I was taking on-call TLC calls from my patients while nursing and I would answer the phone and it's yeah. like, it's okay not okay. to answer the yeah. phone while you're nursing your baby, you know, but at the time I didn't, I didn't think that was okay. I thought that was going to kill my practice and I thought that would reflect on me negatively. And there were just a lot of things in my mindset that were not ideal mm-hmm. in hindsight, not healthy about yeah. my work ethics, my investment in this practice and how much of myself I was putting into that practice. So did someone like point out to you that you needed more boundaries or is it something you self-discovered? No, it was pointed out to me by my coach very clearly. Yeah, she, yeah, she made it very clear to me. It took me a while to accept it because like I said, I've been that way my whole life and had seen that example, really. You know, my dad was also a workaholic. I could call him that. He was very invested in what he was doing outside of the home. And that came and meant less time at the house. And I never faulted him for it, but I also knew I didn't want that. I didn't want to be that kind of a mom. I wanted to be a more present mom. I was woken up to it by my coach and it took me a while to accept it. And now I can see in hindsight, I wish I would have learned it earlier, but I'm so grateful I learned it now. Yeah. So how do you feel you've changed? I've set very clear boundaries with my schedule. Not that I'm perfect on it, but I work three days a week, clinical days. It used to be that it's amazing Ever since I started the practice, I was very strong about that was my ideal, and I'm going to stay at that. There were some temptations to extend beyond that, for Mm -hmm. sure. For a while, of course, getting it off the ground, we were going whenever I needed to. I was also teaching at the university, and I had an associateship, so I really was working five days a week, Mm -hmm. but three days at my clinic always. It used to be that those off days were not really off days. I would still come into the office. I was still very available to my team, but I've been really intentional over the last few years to set kind of almost retrain them, Hmm. give them more empowerment, delegate, you know, is a big word for me. Let them see that they are capable of making those decisions. I think, like I said, at first I held my practice so close, you know, it was me, my practice was me. Right. And it took me a long time to unlearn that. And now I'm able to fully be away on my off days because I have an, like I said, I have an awesome team who I trust and they know that they're empowered to make decisions without me or to wait. You know, if it's something they can't answer, they also know that I'm off and they can't reach out to me and and ask me those questions unless it's an emergency. What year was it that you started really this journey of like self-reflecting a little bit more? I don't know if there was a specific year that I started Like I said, my whole life I've been thinking about these things, but Mm -hmm. I had the guidance started for me in about 2014 when I started working with consultants. Mm -hmm. I started personal coaching in 2016. And then I would say in 2019, my fourth child was born. I was having a little bit of a understanding of what my limits were Mm -hmm. (laughs) at that point. It's like even hard for me to say that, but I think that... Three and a half kids was probably my perfect energy (laughs) investment. And four kids that first year was a lot, especially because that was also a really strong growth year for us in the practice. I just, I had not yet really empowered my team. I didn't have an office manager. 
So I was really carrying a lot of load both at home and at the office. So that was sort of the tipping point. Yeah, that was for sure. Definitely the tipping point for me. And then I would say 2020, you know, when the pandemic came, heading into the pandemic, I was probably at my peak busyness and I was struggling and I didn't know what to do. You know, I I honestly was at a point where I was just like, I can't continue this way. Like I am at my limit. I could keep it going. I can. I can do hard things. You know, like I know I'm built for this, but it's going to sacrifice things that I don't think I'm willing to sacrifice, like my health, potentially my marriage, my relationship with my kids. Yeah. I just wasn't willing to sacrifice those things, but I didn't know what to do. I had built this beautiful, successful practice. I had built this beautiful family and I wanted to give my all to all of those things. Mm. And then the pandemic hit. I mean, honestly, it was, I hate to say it was a blessing because obviously it was not a blessing, but those 10 weeks away from my practice were such a blessing and such a turning point for me. Mm. And I think a lot of people reevaluated their lives during that time. I think so. Yeah, I certainly did. Yeah. And I think it was inevitable. I think it was just a gift of time for all of us and kind of allowing all of us to think about our priorities and what we really, what really mattered. So was this COVID shutdown a sudden epiphany or realization for you, or had you been self-evaluating prior to that? I would say, I think 2019 was kind of my wake-up call year. Mm. Um, My fourth child was born in January of that year, and then I also that same month had my coach ask me, she said, you know, Jackie, a lot of high-achieving people and professionals follow those career paths because they can, not because they want to. Hmm. And it was kind of this moment for me. Sort of profound, right? Yeah. Just to think about it. You know, I'd never really thought about that before because I think all of us are just on this path of we can, we're achieving, we're going, we're doing, we have the next goal, the next goal, the next goal. None of us orthodontists honest are achievers. I don't know where (laughs) you're coming up with this (laughs) presumption. And it's such a straight path. It's just, there's, you know, milestones every few years that you have to hit to get to where you're going. Every four years, right? Things change. Yeah. There's this analogy that I think about with life and where I'm at right now. And I've thought about it like a roller coaster Mm -hmm. where it's like the path to now has just been this like straight kind of click, click up the hill, you know, go, 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 chug, chug, chug all the way until you're at the top. And I feel like, you know, obviously over the hill, right. I turned 40 this year. So maybe that's (laughs) part of it, but I feel like I'm at the top of this roller coaster that I've worked really hard to get to this point, but it was just this straight path. And now I'm at this point where I get to just let go a little bit Mm -hmm. and go and see what comes. And it's going to be a wild ride and it's going to be super fun. And it might be a little risky and it might be a little scary, but it's going to be awesome. And I feel like that path upward, you know, is what all of us are on. And I didn't become aware of that until probably in 2019 when I was asked that question. And the other thing that happened that same year was that summer I was at the cabin and my sister-in-law and I were sitting on the dock and I was just complaining about life. You know, like I think as women do, we kind of sit and talk and... Well, guys do it too. Guys do it too, yeah. Yeah. And just self-deprecate and kind of commiserate about things. And she looked at me and she goes, Jackie, you realize you have everything you've ever talked about wanting. Mm. Again, it was one of those light bulb moments of like, you're right, I do. I have everything. I have a wonderful husband. I have beautiful children. I have this great practice. You know, everything is going well. Everybody's healthy. And yet I'm still sitting here complaining with you on the dock of this beautiful lake. And I just knew I, that something had to change. I had to figure out, like, why am I here? Why am I at this point? I've achieved everything I wanted to achieve before age 40. And I'm not feeling happy. I'm not fulfilled. I'm not, I'm not there yet. But then what is there, right? If you're not right there after achieving everything you think you need to achieve. 
When we come back in just a moment, how Jackie was able to change her life through living with intention, what it's like to be a rock star on stage, and why she decided to recently partner with Smile Doctors. Stay with us. You're listening to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. Kind support for this podcast comes from KLO and Stride. What if you came in Monday morning, looked at the schedule, and every appointment was as simple as an aligner visit? It could be. Stride Custom Braces by Kale Owen help you leverage your investment in digital workflow to grow your practice and find more hours in your day. How about 35% fewer visits? Stride gives precise control in all three orders using a kit of 27 patented brackets with advanced AI software and true straight wire mechanics. Available in metal, clear, and now self-ligating. To request a demo, go to kaleowenortho.com and receive a free case when mentioning this podcast. And we're back to our conversation with Dr. Jackie Sheik. I think this is where my coaches came in. This is yeah. where my my own like thirst for knowledge came in. I listened to a ton of podcasts. I read books. You know, I just realized over those 10 weeks at home during COVID that I really enjoyed being home with my kids. I reestablished a lot of friendships that I had let lapse. Yeah. I kind of just found the joy in those relationships again, where I knew they were always there, but I hadn't invested a lot of time because I didn't have any time. I had no extra time. And that gave me the gift of time. And so I spent that time in different ways. And it was it was amazing. And, you know, we were chatting about this in the car a little bit, but I think you and I both love being orthodontists. We don't want to be anything else. But sometimes you can have too much of a good thing. And when you're just pushing, pushing, working four, five, six days a week, you know, it just becomes to a point where you almost get a little resentful, right? I mean, it's hard what we do seeing, you know, whether you see 60 patients a day, 80 patients, 120 patients a day. It's a mental marathon, to be honest. I mean, just all the interactions we have throughout the day, good, bad, positive, negative, all the decisions. You know, I wouldn't trade what I do, but sometimes three days a week is like perfect for me. Mm -hmm. And the fourth, fifth day is what sort of beats me down and wears me down a little bit. Yeah. You need time to like recuperate and recover. I don't know if you feel the same way. A hundred percent. Absolutely. I mean, that's why I've stuck to my guns on the three days a week, because I know for me, some of the things that I've done, like I want to say after 2020, I really just started living with intention, you know, and being very intentional about, like we talked about my boundaries around my schedule. Yeah. My Mondays now are off of clinic. Those are me days. Like every Monday I get, I get grumpy if I don't get my Monday <laughs> because my Monday is filled with, you know, my coaching calls, uh, exercising, reading a book, practicing for the band, doing things that fill me up and right. fill up my... That's how you recharge cup. your batteries, right? Absolutely. And, you know, I'll do some digital planning, of course. You know, I plan in a couple of hours to check in with my treatment plans. But otherwise, it's truly just a day for me to be ready for the week, to plan the week, to prepare the week. And that's been a game changer for me. Um, there's been a lot of intentionality, like I said, around my friendships. I've mm-hmm. really built back some wonderful, amazing friendships. And that's been such a cup filler for me, too. Obviously, the band relapse has been a huge cup filler for me. It's amazing. <laughs> I knew I would enjoy it. I didn't know how much I would enjoy it. It's been life-changing. 
I love that. So tell me why relapse is life changing. Is it like in terms of the music, the camaraderie? Both. I think there's something special about creating music. Music has always been a passion for me, but just being up on stage, creating music with people and having people enjoy that music that you're creating, there's something about it I can't explain. It just, it's euphoria. And then the camaraderie, of course. I didn't know these fellow bandmates of mine very well going into the band and we've become really, really close friends and it's been awesome. Such an amazing group of people. Mm -hmm. I feel so lucky for my short period in relapse and, you know, having got to know all of them on an individual basis. But you mentioned like weird euphoria of being Mm -hmm. on stage, which I think a lot of people actually don't look at it as that probably more like terrifying, (laughs) but uh, you and I probably are the same personality type Mm -hmm. that we sort of secretly love it and love being on stage. I know recently you guys played the Invisalign Summit and I was not there, but I saw videos and it looked like such a fun, super engaged and like, it was a huge crowd too, right? Huge crowd, very engaged crowd, which helps. I mean, if we get energy from the crowd, we're just fired up about it. The venue was incredible. Invisalign Align put on an amazing show. Was it at Aria in Vegas? Yep, at Aria in Vegas. Professional setup. And it was a huge stage. So it was just fun because you could just get up there and run around and own the stage and felt like a legitimate professional musician. I mean, I'm an orthodontist. I'm a mom, but I'm like, I'm a true rock star tonight. Jackie, you've always been a rock star. I mean, the couple of times I've seen you, it just blows my mind that you learned bass like a year ago. Yeah. You never played the bass guitar. Never. I've been playing for 20 years and you're like 20 <laughs> times better than no me. Way. To see you on stage, you're like running around, singing, dancing. I was staring at my feet the entire time up there. So I'm like super impressed. Thanks. As a young kid, were you super musical or like a performer or a dancer? I mean, like I said, I did a lot of theater and music. Um, I think I had stage fright until now, if that makes sense. (laughs) So I enjoyed the atmosphere of theater and music and all of those things. And I didn't mind performing and I would always volunteer. I'd embrace, you know, having the solo or, or those things. But there was always this fear and always a little bit of stage fright. For some reason, I don't know if it's age, time, whatever it may be, but I get up on stage with relapse and there is no stage fright. It is just pure joy. You know, it's funny when I go on stage, I get this weird like adrenaline kick or like rush. Yeah, it's it's like like the flow. Something comes over me. It's the same when I'm speaking. You know, uh if I get up beforehand with speaking, it's different. I get very nervous before I get up to speak. And I spoke at Ortho Evolution this last summer and I about had a panic attack before I got up on stage. I did. I was sweaty. I was all the things. But then I get up on stage and it's like this calm washes over me and I just am in the flow. I'm in the zone. I'm there to deliver a message or deliver music or whatever it may be. I don't know where it comes from, to be honest, but it's cool. You know, I'm so looking forward to the AAO because you guys are playing the celebration. Yes, we're very excited. AAO celebration, sort of like the headliners, if you will. I believe the date is April 23rd, Sunday, Sunday. April 23rd. Sunday. It's like in the afternoon, I think. It's like 4.30, 4.45 in the afternoon on Sunday. So This might be the best gig yet. Oh, that's right. (laughs) It's an arena show. Like we get to play in an arena. You guys are playing an arena now? (laughs) Yes. I, I think we played like a better. restaurant for our first gig. <laughs> yeah. It's mind blowing. We're all, you know, on these text threads with each other, just like, what is happening? <laughs> is this Are really you coming our life? in on like helicopters at this point? <laughs> Not like, yet. Maybe San Diego. You have really leveled up. Yeah. San Diego, <laughs> yeah. I think you guys are playing on what, the USS Midway? We are. Yeah. For MOPC. It's going to be awesome. 
I love it. I love seeing the trajectory of the band. I'm envious in a way, but at the same time, so proud of all of you for Thank taking you. it in the direction you have. Yeah. And I know everybody loves hearing the band and has so much fun at the gigs. Yeah, it's so fun. It, we're not taking it for granted. We're enjoying every minute of it. So let's talk about, you know, around the time you joined Relapse. Mm-hmm. There was a big change, I think, in your practice, right? Yeah, absolutely. So like I said, 2020 was my year of intention. You know, like, Mm -hmm. how am I going to solve this problem? Because this is a problem and I can see it clearly now. I don't want to continue down this pathway of potential burnout, health issues, relationship issues. Speaking of MOPC, I went to MOPC in Minneapolis. Yeah, It was like the first big conference after COVID. I remember that one. And that was a game changer conference for me because I entered that conference thinking I need to find an associate. I need to kind of, you know, the meeting of the minds with my colleagues on how they're managing the growth of their practice. I wanted to stay a single doctor, single location. Mm -hmm. I'd had opportunities to expand that I had turned down because that just wasn't part of my vision. And it just felt like why, right? More is sometimes just more. And I wanted to really just have a high quality relationship focused practice And at that conference, I just remember talking, actually, I talked with Kyle. I didn't know Kyle at the time, but I went over to the Neon Canvas booth and I was like, do people ever just turn down the tap on their practices and like not market and not, not get more patients? And he was like, no, 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 that's a big mistake. Yeah, I I don't think I have that problem, Jackie. (laughs) Well, and I'm not saying my practice is crazy, but (laughs) I knew my kids were entering school. You know, my oldest is just now a sixth grader. So I, I knew what was coming and I, if it was already beyond the load that I wanted to be able to handle. How was I going to manage that practice moving forward? Anyway, long story short, I went to a lunch and learn that talked about the new model of IDSOs. And I remember saying, I need to go to this lunch because I need to know what's coming. Like for me, it was more of a, let me learn about the competition, right? Let me hear what's out there because that'll never be me because I differentiate against that model. And I went to this lunch and it was like, This OSO model is actually here to support you silently. They're behind you. They can take things off your plate that you don't need to do. They can do certain things better than you can do, but they're still going to let you be you and let you carry the vision of the practice. And it was kind of this light bulb moment of like, is this what I've, have I manifested this? (laughs) Like, is this here because this is what I needed? And so I started really just reeducating myself on that whole model starting then. Um, I talked with a lot of doctors. I talked with a lot of different groups, just learned Mm. a lot about it. And ultimately, we ended up partnering with Smile Doctors in February of last year. Yeah, congratulations. So why do, why do you feel like it was the right move for you to partner with Smile Doctors? Yeah, I think I was looking for something that was going to provide that support without taking away what had made us special and successful in the first place. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to know that the risk was less, you know, the burden was less as somebody who was providing for my family and responsible for everything. That mm-hmm. was a big deal for me oh, to yeah. know that I had some security and safety moving forward, both financially, but also just within the practice. If something happened to me, if my health suffered, you know, that was always kind of a thing in the back of my head. What's going to happen to my practice if I get hurt? So the risk is really much, much less. Um, the support is really great. My team is taken care of. The benefits are better. You know, you've heard a lot of those advantages now. There's other people out there talking about them, but it's true for me, too. That's what I needed. It was the right place, the right time. So you feel like you made the right decision. I do. Yeah, Yeah. I don't regret it. I'm a year in now, and Mm -hmm. it's been everything that I expected it to be. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I feel really grateful to be at this point in time in history. I feel like I was at a perfect point in my practice, in my life, in the strategic planning of my life and everything. It just kind of all worked out. 
Well, I love that, like, you know, 2019 hit and there was a lot going on in your life, but you sort of self-reflected and in a way you tried to like design your future. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I said about that roller coaster analogy, it's like, I'm just at the crest, you know, I, there's a whole ride in front of me and I've lived this amazing life. I still feel so grateful for everything that's come before now that I've actually taken the blinders off and can look back and reflect on what I've done. It's pretty incredible. And I look forward to the future. I've made space in my life. I've been very intentional about creating space for other things aside from my practice. And so instead of having this all-consuming weight of chic orthodontics, which I loved, I now have chic orthodontics and other things. And that's been a game changer for me. That's awesome. You know, one other thing I want to talk about before we wrap it up is, as you know, I'm super big into digital workflow. Yeah, me too. And that element. And I think at a certain point in your career, you started to look a little more into the digital workflow and invest in that, right? Absolutely. So even since the practice opened, I knew I was going digital. So we've been digital impressioning since 2014, which was at the time the the, uh, 3M TrueDef. Early adopter. Early adopter. Yeah, I just knew that was the future. So I built my practice around that. And obviously I was using aligners. I've really increased my share of chair with aligners. I was doing embrace and I was still doing traditional brackets and it was just like slowing me down. I was inefficient. I was struggling. I loved the workflow that I had with aligners. And so it was, again, around that same time of really being intentional in 2020, I got on the bandwagon with Lightforce right from the beginning, pretty quickly into the beginning. I was one of the first users and I've been all in since 2020. And it's been awesome because it was that missing piece of the puzzle for me. And indirect bonding could have solved some of that, but it's the indirect bonding plus the custom treatment because I can trust the prescription, just Mm -hmm. like I can trust aligners to move the tooth where I want the tooth to go. I can do that now with braces too. Yeah. I feel like my finishes are just so much better with digital treatment. And I don't know exactly why that is. Like I felt like I was pretty good at finishing and detailing and I, I got pretty good at wire bending. But it's just a whole different thing to see the teeth you it know, is. blown up to 20x on the computer mm-hmm. and perhaps not upside down. I don't know about you, but it was like those first adjustments came back and I didn't realize the weight I had been carrying, you know, with torque control or coupling. And it was like yeah. these patients came back and their alignment was beautiful and the torque was perfect. And those eight week or 10 week adjustments, it was like, ah, oh, OK, good. This case is going to go yeah. well. I don't use traditional anymore. Uh, yeah, I don't think I've started a traditional case now in about a year, but I don't forget it and I will never go back. It's a game changer. Jackie, on that note, we are about to go have a dinner in St. Pete. Can't uh, wait. Explore. You have never been over here to Tampa Bay, so we're excited to show you around. Thank you so much for coming on Even the podcast. Even though it's 50 degrees, I might wear a tank top. <laughs> Just because. There you go. Mentally, right? <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, thank you again for coming on the podcast. Loved our conversation today. I thought you shared some wonderful insight and a lot of important lessons for not just new doctors, but uh, experienced doctors as well. Jackie, again, thank you for coming. Enjoying having you here in Florida. And uh, cheers to you. Thank you, Chris. Absolutely. Cheers. Cheers. That's all for this episode of the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. If you're a fan of the show, be sure to subscribe or follow Illuminate on your favorite podcast app. Also, I'd appreciate if you could leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. And please check out my new YouTube channel for video of some Illuminate episodes. Simply search the handle at Dr. Seta. 
That's D-R-C-E-T-T-A. A very special thanks to our sponsors for this episode. That's Strauman Group and KLO and Stride Custom Braces. As always, this podcast would not be possible without the Illuminate team. That's Skylar Adler behind the boards and Tom O'Grady on the Fender Rhodes electric piano. Thanks so much for listening to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. To hear exclusive outtakes, suggest a guest, or sponsor an episode, head over to IlluminateOrthoPodcast.com. Until next time, this is Dr. Chris Seta signing off. Yes, that's Dr. Jackie sitting in on bass guitar. But wait, there's more. If you listen this far, you found our hidden bonus track. Jackie and I first recorded this podcast at this year's Mother of Pearls conference in Scottsdale. It was an amazing meeting and epic party at the Teeter's home, but after recording that episode, we both thought we could deliver a better podcast. So, we decided to do a second take, which you just heard. Just for fun, Here's a few behind-the-scenes clips from that lost episode. So you mentioned earlier that you. Mm-hmm. Um, let me try it again. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned earlier that you. Uh, so you mentioned earlier that you taught at U of M. Uh, when did you start teaching there? Yeah, ah, that sucked. Nope. Let, me, let me do it. Yeah. Again. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Drink. Uh huh. You're good. Sorry, Cheers. sorry, Skylar. We're struggling here. Uh-huh. It's it's the end of the conference. We're Please gonna, forgive we're me. We're still going to be the best one you've ever edited, though. Come we're on, Skylar. We're doing this. Tell us something else about dental school. So fun fact, I was in a metal cover band in dental school. No way. All dental students. And we performed at local conferences. What was the band's name? (laughs) I got to know. It was the metal chapter of dentistry. And I I couldn't tell you where it came from. It was was not made by me. Um, But we were heavy metal cover, Guns N' Roses, everything. Um, We had patches that we wore on leather jackets. It was pretty awesome. That That's pretty badass. <laughs> yeah. But like, what instrument did you play at the time? So I sang. I was Oh, you're the singer? The singer? Yeah. I was, I was actually backup mostly, occasional lead. Um, but we had, a, there was a dental student whose major was in opera. And he took the lead on all of these like 80s metal songs and killed them. That it was amazing. is badass. Yeah. As a quick aside, I yeah. also had a dental school band. Yes. <laughs> uh, I came up with the name, which I'm very proud of, Electro Surge. <laughs> But spelled with uh, a K and then like Motley Crue, we put a bunch of random umlauts in there for no reason. Like we're just like, yeah, we want to be like this badass heavy metal. I am getting you to crack up so bad. I love it. Let's, I love <laughs> yeah. Electro Surge. Electro Surge. You, you have a gift uh, for naming bands. It's, it's, a, it's a random superpower that yes. really doesn't uh, help me at all in life, but uh, I guess is sort of fun. You mentioned direct bonding. So yeah. Like, so how does your team alert you when they have like a bracket that needs to be checked? Because <laughs> so, 
Uh, you know, I've had so many systems with the various offices I worked at mm-hmm. from like, you know, a, a blinking light mm-hmm. or whatever. But right now it's just like they yell, yeah, bracket check. <laughs> yeah. And like literally, like I think I have nightmares. Like I wake up at 3 a.m. and my heart's pounding like bracket yeah. check. <laughs> Sorry, does anyone so does anyone else can, yes. can you feel me on that 100 percent. it's so true 